Today we are joined by Ms. Maya Reynolds, a senior at Chaminade Julian High School. In her Global Issues and Perspectives class, she spent three weeks writing a paper about gentrification. I actually had the chance to read her paper and I'll tell you, it opened my eyes. Maya emphasizes that although gentrification seems to be beneficial from a more outside perspective, it has immense negative effects that seep into the gentrified communities. She describes the meaning of displacement in gentrified areas and how it ultimately leaves the original residents in an extremely difficult situation. So here's Maya in the flesh to talk with us about the effects of gentrification. Hi, Kate. It's nice to be here. How are you? I'm good. Ready to hear what you have to say. Now, Maya, could you give us a breakdown on what gentrification means? I'm assuming that most people have heard of the word, but some don't actually know its definition. So the textbook definition is the process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle class taste. Now, I think that definition is so interesting because for a person who just happens to look up gentrification out of curiosity, it sounds great. Like, wow, they are improving neighborhoods. Improve is a good word, but the thing is gentrification is not so one-sided. It's true that neighborhoods are renovated and in turn improved, cleaned up, made more aesthetically pleasing, whatever you want to say. But what the textbook definition lacks is the impact of gentrification on the original residents of those neighborhoods. And I wouldn't describe that impact with the word improve. Now let's backtrack real quick. How did you even get interested in gentrification? What made you want to focus on it for your paper? I think because it's just so conflicting. Last year I went on the Urban Plunge Retreat, which is in Cincinnati, and I learned about gentrification in a section of the city called Over the Rhine. And if you've ever been to Cincinnati, you've probably been on Vine Street. On the outside, you see this beautiful street with restaurants and boutiques, and it's so appealing to younger people because a lot of us love the idea of living in a city with cute little coffee shops and bookstores, but the city didn't always look like that. Actually, in the early 2000s, Over the Rhine was the most dangerous neighborhood in the United States. Whoa. And when big communities start proposing gentrification, landlords start renovating foreclosures and even kicking people out of their homes to renovate their homes. Rent prices skyrocket because landlords put a lot of money into revamping apartments so, that, so they list them for more money per month. And of course, they want to make a profit. So people that can afford these new apartments start to move in, who are usually white, middle class, younger, maybe straight out of college, definitely have access to generational wealth. And then suddenly we see new restaurants, coffee shops, and stores pop up all over the place. New grocery stores that weren't there before, like Whole Foods. It's like an enormous surge of new, new, and more new covering up the old. And the new looks so fresh and clean, but it's just so expensive. And what does that increase in rent prices do to the original residents? Okay, so let's imagine something for a second. Close your eyes and picture yourself as a mom of two kids. You and your family moved to Brooklyn, New York in 1990. The monthly rent for your new apartment is $800. Now, fast forward to 2014. 
you are still living with your family in your apartment, but the rent is now $1,300 per month. That is way too much money for you to spend on rent. At the same time, you're dealing with your rodent-infested apartment, and you keep calling your landlord, but the problem never ends. So, unable to afford to live in Brooklyn and also disgusted with your rodent-infested apartment, you and your family move to East New York. Fast forward again. You go back to Brooklyn to visit an old neighbor and you see that your apartment complex is newly renovated with shiny kitchens and no rodents. Your home is move-in ready for a richer family or maybe a college graduate. Now the thing is, this story isn't made up. It's actually the story of Shirley de Matas, which is included in the article, Gentrification in a Brooklyn Neighborhood Forces Residents to Move On by Vivian E. So, do the residents think that their problems weren't resolved because the landlords wanted them to move out? More like fixing problems for their original residents is not as much of a priority than fixing them for the higher income residents moving into Brooklyn. In the article, The Effects of Gentrification in New York, Jason Davis shares the stories of Brooklyn residents on how gentrification has changed their neighborhood. And actually, one Brooklyn resident named Tabarioya says, The definition of gentrification in New York is having white people take over Brooklyn. It's really not about development and growth for black folk. It's about the new vision of Brooklyn. When it was just African-American neighborhoods and communities, everything was messed up. Streets were cracked and the walls had graffiti. Now we have a stadium, we have bike lanes, and these new bright blue city bikes, end quote. So Tabari noticed the same things that Shirley did. Problems in Brooklyn, such as damaged streets and infested apartments, were paid more attention to when Brooklyn began to be gentrified. And that goes back to how making money is important to landlords. Even though it's twisted, it makes sense that landlords would be willing to to fix problems for people that can pay more money. Right. Could you give us some background on how gentrification begins? Yeah, I'll explain the history of gentrification in a city in China called Shenzhen. Amanda Erickson actually does a great job at breaking down Shenzhen's encounters with gentrification in her article, China's Gentrification Refugees. In the mid-1990s, it was actually an industrial city and an economic zone because it had all these factories. Erickson reports that the population at that time was about 3 million, and many of those residents were factory workers. But something new came in. You know that phone that you have in your backpack? That's actually the culprit. Businesses like Apple were opened in the city and older apartments were renovated to attract younger workers, more business and tech workers instead of factory workers. The population increased to about 12.4 million and rent prices have gone up at least $150, leaving many of the factory workers of the 1990s unable to afford to live there anymore. Well, that's ironic because the factory workers were the ones that upheld the city's status as an economic zone, but now they're being pushed into the shadows. Exactly, exactly. Now, when you talk of displacement, where do the original residents go? That's a great question, and it will vary from city to city, but the common trend is that they move from the city where prices are higher because of gentrification to the surrounding areas of the city like the outskirts where prices are lower. So take London, for example. 
Dr. Adalzar Ray actually created maps showing England's deprivation areas based on income, education, housing, etc., and shares them in the article, Here's What We Learned from Mapping Out England's Inequalities. He actually found that the deprivation data from many areas in England has stayed consistent between 2004 and 2015, but he saw one inconsistency, which was London. He states, quote, in 2004, London had 463 of England's 10% most deprived areas. By 2015, this figure had shrunk to 274. Instead of applauding the shift in inner London neighborhoods, Dr. Ray points out that outer London boroughs have actually seen an increase in deprivation areas. So what could be the cause of this change? Well, signs point to gentrification. When middle and high class people move into a primarily lower income community, prices go up as we know, causing the original residents of that community, which are usually the lower and middle class residents, unable to afford to live there anymore. So they move outside their community in search of cheaper living. The reason why the areas of deprivation have decreased in inner London is not that people have just suddenly overcome poverty. Instead, they have just been pushed out by gentrification, explaining the increase in deprivation in the neighborhoods of outer London. And so, Maya, why do you think we should care about all this? You know, that's, that's a hard question, but I think it all comes down to human decency. It's hard because gentrification has both positive and negative sides. You see new restaurants and new businesses, more money and more places to shop, but then you also see displacement and hopelessness. The positives and negatives challenge each other. That's why we have to keep talking about gentrification and keep questioning its morality because when something's morality has ties to both negative and positive things, how do we decide which one outweighs the other? We have to keep having these conversations so that hopefully we can eradicate those negative aspects so that gentrification can be the process of renovating and improving a house or district, as the textbook definition says, without all the underlying issues like displacement. It's just devastating to hear how the original residents of neighborhoods have been affected by gentrification. Vivian Nee also interviewed Miss Coward, a Brooklyn resident, and Miss Coward says, quote, now it's like we're not even good enough to stay in the neighborhood anymore, end quote. And that's why we should care. That is why we should care. Someone feels like they don't belong in their neighborhood anymore. We should care about the struggles of other people, and many people affected by gentrification are already struggling. I mean, at the end of the day, I think life simplifies to human connection. If we don't care about each other, then what's the point, you know? In her TED Talk titled, What if Gentrification Was About Healing Communities Instead of Displacing Them? Liz Obi wonders, why is it that we treat culture erasure and economic displacement as inevitable? We could approach development with an acknowledgement of past injustices. Find value not only in those new stories, but the old ones too. And make a commitment to build people's capacity to stay. To stay in their homes, to stay in their communities, to stay where they feel whole. End quote. And I think that's a perfect way to point out that gentrification doesn't always have to be how it is now. 
The thing is, evolving communities should be about incorporating the roots of the community into something greater, not building on top of the roots and preventing them from flourishing. Thanks, Maya. Thanks, Mom.